folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hey everyone, Matthew Collar here. We'll get into the show in just a second, but first got to tell you about Abner Maris, a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, a dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer he is today. He will discuss the state of boxing, sports, music, culture, and his American dream. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to the, oh my gosh, the Vikings lost to the Atlanta Falcons by a ton of points post-game podcast. Matthew Collar here. Intern Paul has five questions. I have lots more than that about everything that just happened in front of my eyes today in a 40-23 to loss in which the Vikings scored 16 of their 23 late in the fourth quarter. It was debatably the worst loss of the Mike Zimmer era considering who the opponent was. And now what will be a question that we ask a lot going forward. Paul, what's going on? Um, I, I don't really know how to process what we just watched. It was terrible. <laughs> it was ugly. I... I was shocked at the beginning, and then midway through the second quarter, I was just kind of apathetic. I was telling you before we got on, I, I, it, it was it was a stunning loss. It's one of the worst that I've watched, and since I've been paying attention closely that I've ever seen. I'm sure we'll get into where it might rank um, in terms of all time Zimmer losses, Cousins losses, because it's 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 high up there. But um, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. I had time to watch the Green Bay Packers just kind of get smoked there at the in the second quarter so that that was at least nice for me as a Minnesota resident but you know generally I'm doing all right I don't know if I expected too much from this Vikings team after the first five weeks so how are you doing well I'm always fine uh this you know either way the wind blows I'm having a great time breaking it down so I'll just read you the last um sentence of my column that I wrote for purpleinsider.com which you should all go and sign up uh this is what I wrote Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've heard the Vikings players and coaches talk about the need to improve, which was already quite the pivot from their high expectations going into the season. But there was no progress on Sunday. All the gaping holes they believed they could paper over in the offseason, rather than committing to a rebuild, were on display, as was the quarterback who has proven to need everything in his favor to win 10 games. That's exactly how I feel. I looked at the games against Tennessee and Seattle, not as signs of progress, not as proof as this team was actually good, but more as you got up by two scores and played great in a couple of games and still found a way to lose, you're probably not that good. Now, I did not expect them to fall apart like this. I could always see a world where they lost to Atlanta. The whole new coach thing is a little dangerous. A team gets kind of energized by that. I think that's a real thing. Um, Not having the home field advantage, I think that's a real thing that the Vikings have dealt with. But For this one, there's no, well, if you only got the fourth down and one, or gosh, that guy kicked a bunch of field goals against you. This was a straight up 
whipping by one of the hands-down worst teams in the NFL that just was forced to fire their coach. And not only did you come apart at the seams from the very first drive, but you continued to collapse over and over again throughout this game when there was any sign of life. So at the end of the first half, you've got a chance to go down and score and then put yourself in maybe a position for a comeback. Nope, you give up an interception. And there's another chance at some point to get a stop on, what was it, maybe fourth and two. And then at that point, you can start to come back. You're only down by 16. You give up a 40-yard touchdown to Julio Jones. Here's the reality of the Minnesota Vikings defense. And it always has been. This did not change. This has been exactly the same from Tennessee to Seattle, even to Houston, when they almost blew a big lead against Houston. Your rookie corners are so in over their head against anyone who is good in the NFL. And you should have known this because this is always the case with rookie corners. They always come in and they always get whipped. The corners last year, I think the best corner had a PFF grade of like 66 in the NFL. It always happens. But what we heard in the offseason was, hey, you know, we, we got a lot of talent there. I don't know why you guys are questioning. We got a lot of talent. We'll be fine at corner. Mike Zimmer was quoted as saying, I've never had a bad defense. Don't plan to have it again. Harrison Smith said, I didn't know we'd be bad. They threw this out there the whole offseason. We're going to be great. Our rookie corner is going to be fine. We're going to coach him up. Everything will be all right. Not against DK Metcalf and not against Julio Jones and not against Deshaun Watson and not against Ryan Tannehill. They've given up huge, huge plays in a way that Mike Zimmer's defense has never done before. And you can't possibly be a good team when your corners are giving up 40 yard touchdowns to Julio Jones. So the headline of my article was that all the Vikings miscalculations showed up. They miscalculated that the rookie corners could handle this. They miscalculated that, you know, they shouldn't replace Michael Pierce. They should just kind of leave that spot there and let Shamar Stefan handle it. They have miscalculated that their three technique position would be totally fine. Jaleel Johnson has done nothing. Uh, they miscalculated that Yannick Ngakwe would make any difference whatsoever. They miscalculated that Kirk Cousins would be a guy who could overcome absolutely anything in the NFL to win them games. And now they have him under contract through 2022. And so everybody watching that game is thinking the same thing that six times a year, Kirk Cousins plays that game where he throws it away and you have no chance to win. And he does that all the time, every year for his entire career. It's always been him. So nobody was shocked to see that. And that's your fate going forward so long as you have him as your quarterback unless somehow you build a perfect roster which in a cap era is probably not going to happen so there it is one in five the bye week I know you've got questions but this one deserves an opening rant Paul so feel free to go forth with your first question well I was just going to add it it it, it is what I gained from or what I learned from this was this was just the culmination of a of a colossal miscalculation of an off season of their true abilities. And of all, I was going to mention everything that you already mentioned, but on top of that, they extended Kirk, they extended Dalvin, they extended Zimmer and Spielman. They traded for Ngakwe. They gave up a, a future asset. Um, all those things don't look good anymore because now Kirk is locked in. Like at some point we're probably going to talk about how can they can move off Kirk, but it's not easily. And it's not without a lot of money that they're going to have to take back, even if they trade him. It's the Dalvin Cook extension, which we were on the fence about giving him. Now he's here long-term. Zimmer and Spielman are here long-term. A lot of fans want maybe Under them contract gone. long-term. Whether they're yes. here long-term or not, I'm sure we'll get into. But in a season that owners aren't getting money from the fans, there's, they're losing a lot of money. It's would they eat those contracts to go in a different direction? So if, if – they hadn't extended Kirk, if they hadn't extended Zimmer Spielman, all this becomes a little bit easier. They can get off of those things a little bit easier. And you talked about it earlier in the week, several different podcasts about the offseason and the way they kind of mismanaged that and now dealt themselves a bad hand that they're going to have to have going forward. So that was my big takeaway is just all of those things kind of coming together. And I guess the big thing I want to start out with the first question is around Kirk Cousins, because we saw from the first play of the game, he was not on on his game. He threw that just bad pick. He admitted it after the game that it was a bad pick. And another thing that he admitted that I was kind of surprised by is he said, 
if I keep playing like this, they're going to bench me. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting him to just come out right and say that. Zim didn't say that. He didn't say he thought about benching him in that second half, which I don't think you probably bench him in that second half anyways. But barring an injury, does Kirk Cousins start the final 10 games for the Vikings? This is actually not the first time this has been said by Kirk Cousins as a Minnesota Viking, which might tell you a little bit about his career as a Minnesota Viking. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, Barring a insane run to the playoffs, which is not going to happen since Detroit won, Chicago won. I mean, even if Green Bay, we're recording this during the Green Bay game, they they look like they're going to lose as we're recording this. So they'll, even if they lose, I mean, you're talking about two, two teams with five wins already, a schedule that features, I don't know who you can write in as a win after you just lost to the Atlanta Falcons. So uh, who knows the rest of the way. Uh, but the Kirk Cousins era is going to be 2018, one of the most disappointing seasons in Minnesota Vikings history, considering where you came the year before in 2017, why you signed Kirk Cousins, and what your expectations were for 2018. It is one of the most disappointing seasons ever for the franchise. Put that with, you know, 1999 or, you know, even that they made the playoffs, but everyone thought they were going to go win the Super Bowl in 99 and uh, 2010 where they completely fall apart and so forth. And then, okay, you get a playoff win against the very easy schedule and you kind of have things go your way in 2019. Health was good for you. And then a complete disaster, full-fledged meltdown. So, Like when you're talking about what Kirk Cousins has been in the bigger picture as the Minnesota Vikings quarterback, it is largely disappointing. I mean, uh, on the whole, well, there have been a few up moments. There have been some great performances, but this is exactly what happens with 500 quarterbacks. I mean, this is when we talk about journeyman starting quarterbacks, journeyman backup quarterbacks on the show all the time. What do they usually have as records? It's usually like 500. And I know some people don't like to analyze quarterbacks as a win-loss record. But just if you have that as your starting point and you look at the Gus Ferrats of the world who with some great teams had some good runs and with some bad teams were bad, Kirk Cousins has been that throughout his career. When Washington was average, he was average. When the Vikings were good, they were he was he was good. He was okay last year. I mean, better than okay. He was good last year. And when they're bad, he's bad. And this is the type of quarterback that you usually have as a fill-in type of starter when you don't have someone else, not as someone that you sign to a $100 million contract. Because if you don't have a great team, you'll go one in five. And that's exactly where they're at. So no, they won't be benching Kirk Cousins anytime soon. They've extended him. They've signed on to him long-term. And if anything, if they've decided right now, if this front office is even going to be in charge of this, if they've decided right now they want to get out from under Cousins, they better hope he has a great second half of the season. Because at this moment, tell me who the heck is taking him. I mean, that's the bigger point when people ask me about Cousins' trades. We've gone through all the scenarios. You heard the podcast from last week. But who's making that deal? Who's signing up for his massive contract? Do people realize he has bigger cap hits than Patrick Mahomes in 2021 and 2022? It, I mean, I don't see another team saying, yeah, sign me up for that. They would much rather, 98% of the time, take a younger quarterback when this one has proven that he won't get you over the hump, even when you're good. And when you're not good, he's going to expose all of your weaknesses. And that's exactly what we saw against Atlanta. And again, this is not unusual. He did this against the Buffalo bills in 2018. He had big games where he had a chance to win them throughout his entire time here. And so often did not come up with those wins. So no, this is not, I don't want this to seem like this is all about Kirk cousins, but you threw three picks in the first half. You leave the NFL, and interceptions that's not what you pay for and as an organization this was one you could have seen coming I had all sorts of conversations about it last offseason do you extend Kirk Cousins and the thing we kept coming to was you're really going to have to rebuild the roster so why bring back a very expensive quarterback on a roster you have to rebuild but they didn't want to do that They wanted to take the half measure, take the half step. No, we can be good while rebuilding. Doesn't often work that way. Ask Philly. Look at where Philadelphia is. Ask them. Same sort of deal. 
their quarterback having the same sort of problems. So uh, that is kind of where we're at, but there's no other choice for the Vikings but to continue to play Kirk Cousins no matter how bad he plays, no matter how many picks he throws. You've sort of put yourself in one of those – it's almost like where Tampa was with Jameis Winston for a few years there where it's like, well, you invested so much in the guy, you have to just kind of keep running him out there even if you know now that – is what he is. And I think that's where they are with Kirk. They have to be from this time now to this time next year, so much better to be competitive with him as their quarterback. You can't just be, well, you know, the corners play a little better. The guards are a little better. Like it's got to be way better. And I'm sure we'll hear all about it. Well, they drafted someone high and they have Daniil Hunter back and Michael Pierce and you'll win eight games unless something really drastically changes from now until next year where they can be competitive. So there you're at. Yeah. To put in, it's funny that you mentioned James Winston, our, our friend, Sam Ekstrom, tweeted out after the game, Kirk Cousins is exactly on pace for Jameis Winston's uh, season last year. He's on pace for 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions right now. Um, So it's funny that you mentioned Jameis and that's kind of the, the overriding thought that I'm having right now is just, I don't, I don't really know what the next step is because what we saw today and what we've continued to see is we, we, we thought 2021 is kind of the year that they could do something and it still could be, but it's, they have a lot of pieces that, aren't there yet. And I don't think next year they're going to be ready yet either. And so then you have another year of Zimmer, you have another year of Kirk, if they're both coming back. And at that point, a year from now, I just don't see how we're not in a similar position, maybe with a better record, but still no, there's no like ceiling past maybe, maybe a playoff win. And the floor is what we're seeing right now next year. Cause they're, they virtually have all money tied up for next year that they have this year. They're, really aren't dropping much. They're dropping Anthony Harris, I guess, potentially. They're dropping Riley Reef and his restructure. So that's not even – I don't even know what his salary cap hit is this year anyways. But it, they're not going to have a lot of cap room to work with. They're going to rely on just internal growth, which I think we just need to expect it's going to take a long time. I don't think magically after a year the corners are going to get better. Maybe they do. But we, we saw this team is, is not there yet. We're probably going to talk about the right guard. He was not as bad as Drew Samia, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer either. He's not going to plug and play there. If they lose Riley Reef, that's another spot they have to fill. Um, Kyle Rudolph gets a year older. Adam Thielen gets a year older. Harrison Smith gets a year older. You don't know what Anthony Barr, uh, Daniil Hunter coming off injuries. Like, I I don't know if it took this game for me to realize it, or maybe I realized it beforehand, but I, I just don't know. If you don't move on from Zimmer, if you don't move on from Kirk, which seemed really hard to do with where they are, I don't, I just, with the cap, I just don't see how this changes anytime soon. I want to remind you to go to sodastick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a t-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it, and we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. So here's what gets me about going back to that decision to extend him, which we will go back to, I'm sure, a gazillion times over the next, you know, whatever number of weeks. But when you extend Kirk Cousins, the reason for extending him when they did was to create cap space to make other moves, signings like Michael Pierce, signing like Anthony Harris, bringing him back on the franchise tag, bringing in Yannick Ngakwe to try to replace some of the people that left that were expensive um, that also created some more cap space, right? Okay, I, I get that part of it, but that would be if you believed you could actually win this year, as if you were retooling as opposed to completely rebuilding. But here you are completely rebuilding. And if you don't extend him, think about how exciting this would be. I mean, it would be okay. They're one in five. It, they're done with Cousins. So now what? Like they would have to be done with Cousins at this point if they didn't extend him or feeling that way. If you end up with a four and 12 or a five and 11 season, which I still think is probably where they end up, then 
you would say, well, this is it. You can draft a quarterback high. You could be like the Chargers. Like the Chargers move on from Phillip Rivers when they decided he was at the end, and then they draft Justin Herbert. I'm not saying that Justin Herbert's going to be a superstar, but even if you get the second or the third quarterback, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in this next draft. There's a guy from BYU who all of a sudden looks awesome. Zach Wilson. There's Trey Lance. There's the, you know, there's your fields. There's Lawrence is a long shot still with the way the Jets are playing. But even if you draft the second or third quarterback, you still got a pretty good chance to put somebody in, rebuild, and watch the progress of that thing as it grows around some of the younger stars that you have, like Justin Jefferson, like Daniel Hunter when he comes back healthy. Michael Pierce will still be fairly young as well. And you've got you know other players too. Eric Hendricks can play for a long time. Uh, I don't think Harrison Smith is done yet, so forth, right? And that would be such a kind of unique but fun and interesting place to be for a lot of Vikings fans is – wow, if this keeps tumbling downhill, then you've got a different quarterback situation. We're talking about a completely different look to the Vikings organization from where it was in the first Zimmer era. And instead, now it feels like, how exactly will you get yourself around this? Because like you mentioned, this we've made a lot of Kirk's contract. It's big, and it takes up a lot of cap space, and that ain't changing. That actually gets much worse over the next two years. But there's a lot of other players who have the same problem. Are they going to pay Yannick Ngakwe? Daniel Hunter needs a new contract. I mean, there's a lot of people here making a lot of money, and your roster has so many holes to fill. Are you just going to keep drafting 15 people a year, and that's going to be the solution? That's pretty hard. That's pretty hard because you've seen if one doesn't click, like Cam Dantzler, for example, you just get smoked over and over again by other teams, especially with the way defense works now where offenses have the biggest advantage they've ever had. So that, I think, is the one of the big takeaways here from today. They're not turning around the season. Even if they win some games, it's all moral victories from here. But there's nothing from a quarterback perspective that you can watch and evaluate. Like Cousins is talking about, yeah, for the rest of the season, I just need to, like, not turn the ball over. Okay. I mean, there's no, what What do we think about Cousins? What do we know about Cousins? There was that excitement in 2018, and even it sort of carried over to 2019. Can he win the big game? That is just gone. Like, you know exactly what you have here and exactly what it's going to take to win with this. And that is a steep mountain to climb. So, you know, that that's where it leaves you with, are you still going to draft quarterback anyway? Great case for it. And we're going to start taking a look at those as we go forward here. I've already put in a request for a, uh, a draft expert to start talking to me about some more quarterbacks and, and so forth. But, um, it ends up being a very difficult position for them to be in because they decided that they were going to be good and they missed. If this had been, Hey, we're completely rebuilding and it might be bad this year, guys, but we're making all rebuild moves. We're not trading for Ngakwe. We're not keeping Anthony Harris. We're not signing Dalvin cook. You're trading him for a draft pick instead because running backs shouldn't get paid and, and all that stuff. I think everybody would have been on board. That's the big part of it that deserves the most criticism is you just looked at this situation as a front office and said, we can win. And you're one in five. That's where you are. And, and I think that naturally leads to our second question, which is what are the future of those people that were making those decisions? Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer. I don't know how much Zimmer had an influence in it, but that's kind of the next question is, like, are, are they here next year? Do we foresee that? Do we see one of them? Could one of them stay? Well, one of them goes. Like, where are we at? Because if if they did all this stuff that's wrong, are the Wilfs going to give that those people the opportunity to change it? Or are they going to wipe the slate clean? If they didn't win that Saints game, you've talked about it a lot, how you think Kevin Stefanski would be the coach already. So at some point, they were already in the mindset of we could change things. This has to just exacerbate that. It has to like in the back of their minds, that thought that they had of Kevin Stefanski has to keep coming back. It's, can we improve on this somehow? And I don't know if they'd eat that, whatever cap hit, or it wouldn't be against the cap, or whatever financial hit they'd have to take to do that. But we're in a rebuild now. Whether Zimmer and Spielman want to admit it or not, they're one in five. This is a rebuild. So uh, do you expect that they'll be able to oversee it? I don't know. 
I really don't. Because if you are the owners of the team, well, for one, breaking news, they have a lot of money. They have spent a lot of money on a lot more expensive things than Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, replacing the panels on U.S. Bank Stadium probably costs as much as a head coach and a general manager. So if you want this out enough, you're going to do it. Now, they have been generally not reactionary in the way that they own the team. And, well, I know there are some people who thought Zimmer should have been fired, I don't know, after the Eagles loss or in 2018 or in 2019. I think that it is generally a smart play to not be reactionary in everything that you do and to have a plan and to have a path and to believe that a certain type of thought process will win for you. And here's what I don't know. And this is always when criticizing the front office in terms of their, you know, the whole direction thing that I just went off about. The one thing you don't know is how much ownership influenced that. If ownership said, and this would be, you know, hey, not everyone's their own boss like me here at Purple Insider. But if my previous boss said, look, you're going to talk about the Bears today. And I was like, what? Vikings, though, aren't they the team? No, you're talking about the Bears because I'm your boss. Then you got to go, all right, that's crazy and stupid, but I guess I got to do it because I work for you. So if ownership said, we want to win this year, we don't want a rebuild, we want Kirk to stay as the quarterback Uh, We want to extend him because we think he can win. If ownership tells you that's what you have to do, then that's what you have to do. You don't have a choice. So I'm assuming that ownership has gone with what the front office wants, and therefore it's okay to criticize the front office on just miscalculating this entire formula and um, having – it's like – when people talk about, oh, well, Hunter got hurt. You didn't, did they, they thought no one was going to get hurt. Like players get hurt in the NFL. If your structure is not good enough to sustain that, then you probably aren't a winning team and you should probably rebuild if you can't sustain one injury. And then you reactionary trade for Ngakwe to fill that spot, but he's nowhere near as good as the other guy. So side point. Uh, But I don't know how that relationship went. Like if the Wilfs decided, hey, do everything you can to win. We got to win this year. And then it blows up in their face. They can't be like, you're fired, Spielman. This is your fault. Like, because it wouldn't be. He would be following the marching orders that he was given. So that's the one factor I don't know about. But I've always felt that the pairing of Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins has been a weird one. I've always felt that Zimmer's want for more talent, more money put into the defense when your quarterback is flawed and you need to fill around the offense with everything you could possibly have. I've always felt that that was odd, that that was just a a weird approach to pay a quarterback that much and then put all your money into your defense. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know which way they're going to go with this. Uh, But today against the Falcons was a team no showing from top to bottom. I mean, it was, they didn't pressure the quarterback. They didn't cover the receivers. I don't think they blocked particularly well when you run for 20 yards and Zimmer after the game. I don't know. We didn't run the ball. Well, I mean, maybe Ezra Cleveland wasn't the entire difference between them and a championship, eh? But, uh, you know, so like from top to bottom, it was one of those get your coach fired type of losses, And that's where we'll see how this plays out. I don't think that they're going to have that knee-jerk reaction when it comes to the coach or the general manager. But this kind of loss, that's one where now the target is on your back. Now the seat is officially hot. And where you go from here will matter to your job status. And then there's another point to do you want to win? Like, I mean, if you're the owners of the team, like, do you want – Mike Zimmer to try and coach him up to win games considering where you're at and the fact that you can't actually possibly be a playoff team now. Yeah. And just from watching it, this game had shades of those worst games that we've had in the Zimmer area. It had, it felt like the Eagles game a little bit. It felt like the bills game that they blew. And I, I think you're right with how the ownership has been relatively smart and not being reactionary but when those things keep on happening and we you're kind of running your court Zimmer's been here a long time it's I don't know it just it just feels like it's different than those other times it feels like something's building it feels like there's anxiety building it it, the fan base is much like feels much differently than it did prior to this and it'll just be interesting how much they put how much weight they put in 
the COVID season and not having fans and not having the off season. Cause that's another wrinkle, but I don't know. It's just, it feels like if they keep them Zimmer's Zimmer and cousins and Spielman doesn't feel like the, the, like the means to get you to an end, which is a super bowl or right. to a championship at least right now. And so I'm just wondering if they continue to kick like the can down the road, if they realize that maybe, or if they think that this isn't the ultimate goal. And at some point you just got to get out from under it. Cause I understand well, you can't get rid of cousins. Like there's a huge dead money, like hit, Oh, you don't want to get rid of Zimmer. Like it's not really his fault, but I'm wondering like, are these the pieces that they actually think in an ideal scenario can get them somewhere? Cause I don't know if they are. And at that point, why are we just prolonging this? Like you should get it. Out. I'm, I'm a believer in getting it out of the way. So that that's, that's where I'm at, but I, I don't know what your take on that is. So I guess I was thinking about just how the last, I don't know, year, six, seven, eight months sort of for this team. And I think about it like a relationship in a way, because let's say you're, you're with somebody where um, it is not something you necessarily thought would last forever, but it's going pretty well. And you've had your ups, you've had your downs, you had your fights, whatever. And then you kind of get to a point where you got to go one way or the other. And you have a great date. You just go out. Everything is perfect. Great movie, great dinner, all that stuff. And you have a great conversation. And you think, you know what? This can work. This can work. That felt so good. And you forget about all the things that kind of were the bumps in the road and why this couldn't really be a long-term relationship past this. But that one night and that night is in New Orleans when they beat the New Orleans Saints. The high of that, the excitement of that great date that you went on allowed them to kind of forget about a lot of things, the reasons why Mike Zimmer's job status and the front office was in sort of the the white-hot light to begin with and why there were reports that the Vikings would consider trading, you know, Mike Zimmer to the Dallas Cowboys. So they just sort of and all the games that they were disappointed with Kirk Cousins. I mean, all the games against Green Bay, the national TV games, all those times that they had been let down. They just, you know, it was easy to be blinded by the one playoff win because it was such an upset. It was such a great game. They, Cousins played really, really well. The defense was great. But that's where you had to kind of look past that and say, what is, what is our future really? And it's sort of like, and, and stick, sticking with a dating kind of connection here where you kind of grow as a person beyond it's like dating in high school and then grow beyond it when you go to college. And then, uh, sorry, I know that uh, you've stayed with your high school girlfriend or whatever. So uh, maybe you won't grow and change and dump her, but <clears throat> anyway, So like, but you know what I mean? Like you grow and you change and then things are different and you can't really be together anymore. That's kind of where we are now in that stage where it's like, you know, Mike Zimmer is a really good coach and this front office has done a lot of great things along the way. A lot of great players. The 2015 draft is incredible. Some of the moves they've made, uh, I think were really good in players. They acquired players, they developed, but we might just get to a point where it's like this relationship doesn't make sense anymore. And even maybe Mike Zimmer might see a long road and say, maybe this this wasn't the right decision for me to sign a three year contract extension. So I forget where this started with uh, if the, if <laughs> I was supposed yeah, to answer a question there or not. But I was just thinking about that as you were talking. Like it just has it just has that feel of where you had one great game that made you so excited and and you just thought this is us, this is who we really are, this is really who our quarterback was, and you didn't really look at the future and what it was probably going to hold because every team is like this. And I point to Philly. It's like every team, Atlanta is just like this. You are Atlanta. You look over there and you go 2016. They're in the Super Bowl. Now they're coming in here with zero wins because they kept trying to do the same things over. They kept trying to run it back. They, they kept, you know, having coaches and a quarterback that doesn't fit for a team that needs to rebuild and talking themselves into it. And here they are in kind of the same position of just being in bad shape. Yeah. They just, they seem like they're in the cycle that you wrote about earlier when you mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals, it, it, this continues to feel like a Bengals year in the Marvin Lewis era where you don't totally know if it's on Marvin Lewis, like it's really his fault, but the owners aren't quick to get off a head coach. And so he stays and then mediocrity ensues. It's what happened there. It's kind of, 
It's kind of what happened in Jacksonville. Doug Marone's still living off the one year where they were in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> Not for long, game. I think, but yes. Yeah. Bill uh, or, um, uh, Dan Quinn was living off the Super Bowl and then everything after that. Even to an extent, Jason Garrett was living off of, I guess, mediocrity, but was still living off of that and staying. And we've seen all those relationships come to an end. And I'm not saying Zimmers is for sure headed that way. Like this, maybe he can turn it around. He's a better coach than Jason Garrett. He's a better coach than Doug Marone. He's a better coach than a lot of these guys that we've seen go that way. But it, it just feels like we're starting to get to an, a point where I don't know if it's beneficial for either party to continue to be in the relationship if you're talking about it. But I, I want to get off that just for a little bit. I want to ask you the trade deadlines in a few weeks now. There's a lot of pieces that could be moved. I just want you to answer if you think specific guys are going to be on the team after it. And I think the biggest one that I'm interested in is Yannick Ngakwe because this I think this gives us our first indication of how the front office, if they're allowed to go into this offseason, like what their like motives are going to be if they're going to trade Yannick Ngakwe and just try to get off of that and know it was a mistake. And that could be a forecast for what we see later in the offseason where they try to walk back some of the things that they did this offseason, or if they're going to keep Ngakwe and try and kind of try to continue to do the same things that they've been doing. So I, I want to know about Yannick Ngakwe, but I also want to know Harris, Brief, Rudolph, like which one of these guys, if any of them are still on the roster, because right now I wouldn't be shocked if all of them are gone, but I also wouldn't be shocked if they just hold course and they're all still on the roster. I think after today, the decision has to be made. And if it isn't, then what? I mean, if you're not trading Kyle Rudolph to a competitive team, what? Why? If you're not trading Anthony Harris to a competitive team, why? What would be the explanation for that? Even a great turnaround for a bad football team would be like, what? Are, how many games are left? Oh my gosh, there's 10 games left, Paul? Um, I will have dra- mock drafts, trust me. Mock drafts are coming. Draft sims, mock drafts, everything. Draft analysis, draft analysts, it's all coming. Don't worry. you got to put um, Draft Scout in your tw- uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter just, name because that's, that's what we're going to be doing for the next few right. months. If you put uh, NFL also in your name, then you definitely are legit. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> that aside, there are 10 games left. If you won seven of them, you still don't make the playoffs, more likely than not. I mean, that is such a gigantic hill to climb. So you have young players at these positions. How about, like, I know this sounds silly, but like Brandon Dillon. is a tight end you like. He's been good in camp for two straight years. Play him instead of Kyle Rudolph. Uh, I know nothing about Josh Metellus. He's been playing special teams. He was their sixth-round pick safety. Play him at safety. And not Anthony, and move on from Anthony Harris. Like this is where you're at. You did this to yourself. If you don't like it, sorry, but you did it to yourself by again miscalculating an entire off season and believing you'd be good and not being good. So you have to try to recoup some of that, and not try to go for a magical run to eight and eight. That doesn't do anything for you. The only person that that does something for is, I guess, Mike Zimmer could argue he turned it around, and I guess the front office could say, look at all of our young players and how well this projects but the Falcons did that last year they went like six and two down the stretch they got convinced that they were going to be good this year and here we are in October they fired their coach like this everything in the NFL just repeats itself time and time and time and time again so don't waste an opportunity to get some thirds and fourths and fifths because if you do then you never know which one can turn into the next star player but if the front office feels like we better turn this around to the second half of the season or we're all going to be fired. That's where I don't know, because I agree with you. The smart thing is to just trade Yannick Ngakwe and get whatever you can and just call it an out. Apologize. Sorry. We thought we were going to be better. We weren't, but he's not that good. And he's definitely not worth $20 million a year going forward, which is what he's going to want. Uh, and, and you know, the one that I'm really interested in is Harrison Smith actually. Because Anthony Harris is a very obvious trade candidate. But you're not getting a ton back for any of these guys. Third, fourth, fifth. The guy you could get something decent for is Harrison Smith. And if Harrison Smith says, you know what? I just don't have the energy here to go through a rebuilding year the rest of this season and have it be miserable and get my ass kicked each week. And then next year, just hope everything falls into place so we can be competitive again. If I'm in Harrison Smith's position... I'm thinking, 
Who can, what contender can you trade me to? Give me a shot to win a Super Bowl. His contract next year is calling for a contract extension, which is tough because he's in his 30s. And it's again with the Vikings like, are you going to pay another guy that you're going to overpay even though he's really good? Um, and utmost respect to Harrison still having a lot of talent, but like it's clear one man cannot turn this thing around. So there's a lot of different options that are going to be on the table, but I think that some are just after this, move Reef, move Harris, move Kyle Rudolph. Those ones should be no-brainers. Unless, and this is where you got to wonder, like to be a fly on the wall, is there a debate between Mike Zimmer still wants to win football games? He still wants to go 8-8. Eight and eight, He wants to get hot down the stretch. And the reality of the matter is you probably won't. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it is, it is, a, they have put themselves in one of the toughest spots, I think in the entire NFL. Cause if you're, if you're not going up and you know, if you're not rebuilding or you're not competing, like, where are you? Yeah. What a difference eight days makes. I think if, if they had won that again, if they'd won that Seattle game, everything's seems like it's different, but you get blown out at home by a team that, has a new coach that's 0-6, it, it, it just doesn't, doesn't spell good things. I want to ask about the right guard because I know people want to know yes, about the, the right, right guard. guard. I, I know Definitely people want to know. I'm sure you'll break it down further with <laughs> Jeremiah Searles. But yes. he, wasn't, he didn't seem to be getting run over as much. He got run over a couple times. Um, but I just want to know what you make of it because we thought maybe he'd only go in at left guard and Dakota Dozier would go to right guard. or Oh, we're trying him again at tackle is what Kubiak said. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he'll go in at tackle at some point. And then they just throw him to right guard. They're just like, okay, uh, we were trying to kind of bring you along. Now we're just going to switch you to a whole new side, a different position, and just go for it. And he looked better than Drew Samia, which, like, if I, after all those changes, I would have expected a Drew Samia like performance for how wishy washy they have been to this rookie. It's probably not fair to him how much they've moved him around. And he wasn't perfect. I watched him a lot. He got blown by a couple times. He got pushed back, but it wasn't to a Drew Samia level. So I just want to know what you think of all of that, his position moving around and just his performance today, because, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what to make of it. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. For me personally, can't travel to games this year. It's been weird, so I've been watching all the Vikings games from home on the road, just like you have. Pepsi is the refresh that you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it, or in my case, those who cover it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring even more important than ever, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. So I got a few tweets from people really wanting to know what I thought. And my answer is when you are down by so many points from the very outset of the game, we saw this in week one with Garrett Bradbury, where people were like, he was way better in pass pro. 
Of course he was. I mean, you're, you're just – they're dropping people back. They're not sending complex-looking stuff at you. And by the end, I mean, it, it, are they even rushing? Like, are they just trying not to get hurt? Because if you throw a giant touchdown to Justin Jefferson, it means nothing. And so they're fine with it. Um, I, the From the very start, it was just over so fast. And I saw him get beat like you a, a couple of times um, that I think it's going to be a hard one to evaluate how he looked at right guard. The switch to right guard, I did question it initially, but I texted with Jeremiah about it, and he said, hey, it's hard to move two players, basically. Like, a lot of times you just try to move one. You, you, okay, we could just plug a hole rather than saying, you move over here, you move over there. Okay, I get that. I'll buy that. That doesn't matter to me. What matters is, is Ezra Cleveland a guard? That's what I want to know. Is he a guard or is he a tackle? I don't really know how I'm supposed to judge him at guard. I mean, if he looks like a monster, then okay, great. Maybe you found yourself a guard. He didn't look like a monster today. Uh, But I thought you were drafting your franchise tackle in the second round. Like I thought that was, you're getting your left tackle version of Ryan O'Neal. And so that's what I'm going to continue to watch here is if they trade Riley Reef, does Rashad Hill play? They love a lot that Rashad Hill has done. Um, But if you can't beat Rashad Hill at left tackle, a guy who's a swing tackle, then where are you with that guy? And if he has to only play guard, okay, fine, but that was a second-round pick, and that's kind of a lot to give up for somebody who has to move positions and play guard. So I'm looking at that a little more big picture than I am today, and especially since I think the circumstances are just, I mean, your offense isn't on the field at all, and then all of a sudden you're down by 100 points. And so you're kind of just standing there and the other guy's standing there. It's like, can we get this over without any of us getting hurt? And I'm sure that his PFF grades won't be terrible and we'll kind of go, hey, it was better than Samia. But if that was the Seattle game where it mattered and where they had 88 plays where everybody was exhausted at the end, how does it look? I don't know. But of course, of course, never play Samia again. Like that, that's decided. I, I, I mean, I don't care if um, Ezra Cleveland didn't know the playbook. Like you just don't even worry about that. But there was one play where it looked like somebody went completely the wrong direction. So there's your right guard analysis for now. Like you said, uh, Jeremiah will be looking closer at it, but I think he, um, I think he's going to have some big picture thoughts on this matter as well. Yeah. I think it's the season in a nutshell that after a week six game, we're in depth analyzing the right guard um, and people are wishing for Pat Elfline to come back. So that's just kind of where we are in the season. And, I want to play just a small game with you that I feel like is going to be reoccurring every week now. I just okay. want you to guess who has this stat line um, from this weekend. So okay. he went 24 for 32 for 404 yards, five touchdowns, and an interception. Who is he? Oh, uh, this is around the NFL then, right? Is that this what is, about? Oh, uh, uh, is this, uh, oh, is this uh, Trevor this is Lawrence? Football. This is, yes. Trevor, this yeah, is okay. Trevor I, yeah, I saw that. Yes. 73 points tre- or whatever. They put in their punter. We might have a Trevor Lawrence stat of the week every week in here, and then when Justin Fields starts playing, we can add his in. Just for old time's sake, we can throw in old Trey Lance stats just for fun. But I think that'll that'll be a fun game we can play is we can just read off their stat right. lines well, and then yeah. just, like, just stare at them maybe. I like it. Uh, I will say this. Early in the season – I felt that this team being really bad, really, really, really bad, was not possible. I still think they win five games. Maybe they win six games. Uh, but we could start looking at quarterbacks, definitely, um, for college football and, and seeing where they end up. Because this situation was the situation you'll be in many times, whether it's you're a 500 team and Cousins has a bunch of these games as he does every year. If you're a good team, he'll still have these games. If you're a bad team, he will still have these games. Like, this is unavoidable with this particular quarterback. So, yeah, we'll do that. Um, The tanking thing is still hard, though, because there's tearing it apart, and then there's tanking, and then there's actively trying to lose, which I understand is tanking. Not, like, each week saying, hey, hey, come on, Vikings, I could really use Justin Field. Like, that, that is fine, but... When you're talking about tanking, then you're talking about benching Cousins, benching Delvin Cook, um, trading someone really significant like Adam Thielen or something, right? I mean, there's, there's moving the guys that you're supposed to move, and then there's actively trying to lose. And I, don't, I still don't know how you do that with Mike Zimmer. 
I don't know how you actively try to lose as Mike Zimmer still probably believes he's going to go home and grind tape over two weeks and then come back and go, you know, I don't know, whatever's nine and one. So yeah, that that's the yeah. thing. But, but if you're sharing Trevor Lawrence memes or you're making up cute little nicknames for these guys, that's where I, we're at. I, I dropped the ball because during the game at halftime, I saved an image of a, Trevor Lawrence Photoshop and I was going to put it as my zoom background. And then I just totally spaced as we were coming down here. But yeah, I think the the floor of what we thought this Vikings team with Kirk cousins has to be adjusted after, after today, I think in Washington, his worst year, I think was seven and nine. So that's kind of where we were playing. Like we don't have a dysfunctional franchise, like seven and nine, there's talent. Like that's where we're at after seeing what we've seen. They've been trying to win these past seven weeks and they went one or six weeks and they went one and five. So could the floor be three wins? I I think it might be. It could be. I mean, looking at the schedule moving forward, the only games that I'd feel right now comfortable, like getting to that week and thinking they could beat is maybe the Lions at home and the Jags. Every other game, I don't, like, I would probably pick against them at this point until we see something more. So is three wins on the table? Maybe. Like, Mm. who knows? Like, I think we just have to adjust the floor. Like, if things go wrong, because before the floor was six and 10, the floor was seven and nine. And so now that's kind of the ceiling. And we, I think we re- need to readjust the floor right now. They're at worst, I think the fourth pick in the NFL draft, if the tiebreakers go wrong, um, they're the worst team. They are the worst team in the NFC right now. Cause every other winless team got a win. Um, only the jets are winless. They're going to be winless. Uh, the game's almost over. They're going to be winless again, but yeah, I think we just have to adjust the tough the break for such a great coach there in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, um, but yeah, it, it. I get so much enjoyment out of Adam Gase being horrible. I don't know why. Uh, so to your point, though, um, yeah, I still think they're winning like six. I know that this may sound, you know, silly. People might be like, "What? You think they're still going to pull upsets and win the games they're supposed to win?" Like, probably. I mean. This was as bad as Kirk Cousins will ever play, but he just played really good a couple of games ago. And that's always Kirk Cousins. In 2017 is a great example of Kirk Cousins is with a very bad Washington team, and they go 7-9. and nine. And they were worse talent-wise than this, than this Vikings team. I mean, I think decidedly worse. And that's where you wonder about the coach, is this is a pretty big gap still in overall talent. Like you have a superstar first round pick, a superstar receiver, a pro bowl tight end, another tight end. Who's good. A, a superstar safety, another good safety, a good edge rusher, at least, you know, in gets a bunch of sacks. Like to have this many talented players and lose 13 games just doesn't seem super plausible still to me, even after today. So I'm still going to say that they go five and 11, six and 10, and that they end up drafting like 11th, or 10th. And that's a position where, you know, maybe you could trade up for a quarterback, but this is the thing. If they stay with this administration, the coach and the general manager, you won't draft a quarterback. What you'll do is you'll draft a defensive tackle or you'll draft an offensive lineman. And you'll say, that's all that they needed. That's all we needed. All we needed was a three tech who could rush the passer. And Pierce comes back. Hunter, You'll hear this whole thing. Pierce coming back. Hunter is coming back. Like you'll hear it a million times. So if you're in the, this is the unfortunate part. If you're in the camp of wanting to change coaches, um, or I'm sorry, I should put it this way. If you're not in the camp of changing coaches, then you're not drafting a quarterback. Like those are the places that you probably have to stay. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch down the stretch just where they end up because this, this coach is still going to play to win and this quarterback will still have great games because he's always done it. It's what 500 quarterbacks do. They, like Ryan Fitzpatrick is like this. I know he's below 500, but every time Fitzpatrick has had a good team that he's played with, like the Jets or the Texans, I think he was on a decent Titans team. He always goes 500 and has meltdown games where he costs them a chance to get into the playoffs. And then they leave going, well, what now? We can't really stick with this guy. And like that, this is what happens. The inconsistency is part of it. It's he's very good at football and it's really, really tough job. But if you're this inconsistent, in terms of having, you know, five to seven games a year where you just throw picks and fumble and lose the game, this is what you kind of lock yourself into. So uh, the rest of the year, 
I still expect them to win some games unless they just completely quit on Zimmer. And then we're talking about a coaching change, you know, in the coming weeks, if not tomorrow, I have no idea, but uh, this, this was something, this was something. I mean, this, this loss is not just your regular run of the mill. Whoops. The Falcons kicked a 56 yard field goal. Like everybody else. This was just a beat down. I could have gone to the other side of the press box and watched the Carolina and Chicago game and missed nothing with this. Um, there have not been too many times that you get to the end of the game. You think that one has got to have some consequences and I don't know with who. So that's it, Paul. That's what we got. Yeah. Yeah. I just would say ex- expect the unexpected. I don't think anyone, even if they had played as worse as we thought would be one in five right now. Um, they could win games. They could lose a lot more games. Um, but we're going to be here every week to cover it and get out this information for you. That's all I had for five questions. Is there anything else that you want to add? Hmm. Um, no, but, you know, I got a tweet just here, and I might as well throw it out since we've just been going on, about uh, Kubiak. And what I would just say about Kubiak is, excuse me, the, the second down and 10 running is a, is a joke. Like, that just can't be happening in 2020. I'm, it's not 1993. I wrote in my postgame column, like, every time they do that, I, like, go in a time warp bubble to where they were running the, you know, split back pro set or whatever. You just, like, it, I, I have visions of Madden 93, how you can barely make out the player numbers or something, and they're just handing off on second and ten. That's got it. That's got to stop. But do I look at Kubiak and say they should fire Kubiak? I don't know. I mean, the offense was pretty good the the three weeks before and the quarterback threw two interceptions that are just so obviously the quarterback throwing the worst pick. And I don't know that Kubiak plays cornerback either. So I don't know about him. I don't know. Like, does that do anything? I'm not sure. And Zimmer's in a tough position because he's also like best pals with Kubiak. But I would say this in terms of their off season miscalculations, which is to, to like my word of the day here, thinking you can just take a really bright offensive mind and play caller who pushed every right button last year and just say, oh, well, you know, scheme's the same. So this other guy will just do it the same exact way. It'll be just fine. Miscalculation. Like Gary Kubiak has been decidedly worse than Kevin Stefanski, probably by a lot and by PFF's numbers by a serious lot. And that was maybe one of those things that they didn't factor for is that you can't just snap your fingers and say, well, this guy will be exactly the same as the other guy. When the other guy, even though they got their butts whooped against uh, Pittsburgh is probably very good at his job when it comes to offense. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, when you're looking for like whose head should roll, I don't know where you go. If you're not going to change the general manager and front and um, head coach, I don't know where you go. I, I like the, offensive assistant, the quarterback's coach. No, that's Kubiak's kid. Um, I, I honestly don't know. The the new corners coach? Like, what? I I don't know. Uh, Mike Zimmer did mention that they were not happy with the onside kicks. So, sorry, Marwin. Like, your special teams have been fine, but, like, I guess you're out. I don't know. Yeah, this is um, where they go from here. will really test the direction that they thought they had and the patience of the Wilfs and how much they want to try to be like the Steelers or something and just keep the same coach forever. I don't know. But that coach has also had Ben Roethlisberger. That's where we end. Uh, great stuff, Paul. Thanks for listening, mostly. Um, but you, <laughs> this was a game to rant. This is a game to yeah, rant, this is just, this is This has been therapeutic for all of us. I hope it was therapeutic for the listeners because um, I think we're all just kind of left – confused and not really sure where they're going to go. And that seems to be the sense from everyone in the organization that they don't really know what to do from here. Uh, I'm worried that Kirk saying he wants to protect the ball means we're going to have a Sam Bradford, like four yards per attempt Kirk for the rest of the season, because all he wants is for Zimmer not to yell at him about turnovers. So now we're going to get King of like check down Kirk. Um, But we're going to learn about it uh, pretty soon in these next three weeks up until the trade deadline. Obviously, we can see what they'll do after the bye, and then if they can even get ready and if they go out and are at least competent against the Packers. But these next few games are really going to decide what this roster looks like just if they trade them. And if they keep losing games, that's just going to continue to make the seat hotter and hotter. And 
who knows if they'll go to it or not, but I'm I'm ready to find out. See, I don't think of myself as being therapeutic for anyone. I feel like you get to the end of this and you just go, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? You never know, and we'll be here when we find out. So thank you, Paul. Thank you all for listening. There will be, oh, my gosh, so much going on this week. I know it's the bye week, but Courtney's going to jump on, and that, you know, is going to be nuts. And uh, Jeremiah Searles will break down all of the Ezra Cleveland you ever dreamed of, plus he'll get his take on this. And then something very cool, 2010 stories. So we're 10 years from the wildest year in Vikings history, according to a lot of the people who have covered them for a long time. And um, so I'm going to have Brian Murphy, Judd Zelgad, and Chip Scoggins all telling great stories from 2010 to provide you with a little bit of bi-week content. Uh, And of course, emergency pods should anything big happen. So make sure you stay tuned and uh, we will catch you next time. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division championships, futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today, take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.